school, and I attended a small private school in Maryland, and there was a team that we played in soccer and in basketball that was basically our nemesis. You would call it our arch rival, but in a rivalry, usually one team wins and then the other team wins, and that's not the way it worked in this relationship because in the soccer season, they beat us two games during the regular season, then took us out in the playoffs, and then we got to basketball season, and um, the first time we played them, our normal defense was a man-to-man defense, and so that's what the coach had us set up, and their star player went off and scored 40 points against us. If you know anything about high school basketball, 40 points in a high school game is a lot of points in a basketball game. So coach decided, next time we play this team, let's go to a zone defense, try a different defense. Well, that didn't work. We still lost by 20 points, and eventually we were going to... Now, we won our next two playoff games, and we were going to come up against them in the championship game. And we were like, we don't know how we're going to beat this team. We just can't beat this team. If there was a team that had our number, this team had our number every single time, all the time. And our coach came up with a defense that we had never played before. And uh, this defense was a defense in which he would put our best player on their best player, kind of man-to-man, and then a zone on the rest of the team. It's called a box-and-one is what we called it at that time. And... Um, That team had never faced that defense before, and because they never faced that defense, it frustrated their star player. He had his lowest scoring output of the whole season, and we actually won the game by seven points. And I remember at the end of the game that they were just stunned. They they couldn't believe that we had beat them. They never expected to lose. They were so confident. They never expected to lose. Um, They didn't think it was possible for us to take them down. And I don't know if you have a story like that that you can think of in your life experience where where you were kind of the underdog and no one expected you to do this. No one expected that you would be able to do this and you were able to beat all of the odds and accomplish a significant thing. Or maybe you were on the other side of the equation where maybe you were the top dog and you thought there was no chance anyone was going to bring you down and someone eventually did. Maybe you asked the guy or girl out and you thought, there's not a chance they're going to say yes to me. And they did. And you're like, wow, I can't believe that happened. Or maybe maybe you applied for a job that's a little bit above what your experience was. And maybe it's a little bit far beyond your, your skill level. And you're competing with someone else who surely that person is the best fit for the job. And the ownership decides to take a chance on you. And you're like, I can't believe I got that shot. And I got a chance to beat all of the odds. Well, whether it's your favorite sports team or your sports experience, all of these, or your life experience, all of these things, stories come from one source, and that's a story in the Bible known as David and Goliath. And David and Goliath is a story that many, many people know, and it gets compared and uses analogies all over the, the all over the, every setting you can imagine. There's David and Goliath stories, and. And the story of David and Goliath, if you grew up in the church setting, you might know this story about only a boy named David and this little song, only a little sling, only a boy named David, but he could pray and sing. And and that's maybe this cute little story of David and Goliath, but the story we're going to look at today has so much more, so much more, so much more than just a simple song that you might have sung as a child. If you're not here with us last week, we began a new series entitled Unlikely Hero unlikely hero. And the story of a hero is someone who doesn't expect to be a hero. Most people don't wake up in the morning and say, I think I'm going to be a hero this morning. I think I'm going to do something heroic. That's not how heroes are made. Most people find themselves in difficult situations, unique situations, and they simply choose to act. Last Sunday night I was watching 60 Minutes and there was a story on 60 Minutes 
um, about a school shooting that happened three years ago in a little town in Ohio. It was one of the top five best places to live in the country. And a school shooting occurred. And when the school shooting occurred, the lockdown procedures were that every teacher, when they hear this takes place and they hear the alarm sound, the teacher's responsibility is secure their kids, secure their room, make sure that everyone is safe, and that's the, what they are supposed to do. But an assistant high school, assistant football coach didn't do that. He didn't follow the rules. He just knew that his kids were in danger and one of their students had a gun and that gun was going off and he took off down the hall after this kid, dodged behind the lockers as bullets were flying, chased this kid out in the parking lot, tackled the kid before he could pick up the next gun that was fully loaded after the first magazine and the first gun was out. And they asked this, um, this assistant uh, football coach who was also the, the lunchroom monitor, that's basically his roles, said, why did you do that? He said, I don't know why I did it. My kids were at risk. And I had to protect them. And that's why I did it. He said, I'm not a hero. I'm just someone who cares about these kids. And um, that's often what happens with a hero. They find themselves in a very unlikely situation that they didn't wake up that morning planning to be in, that they didn't say, this is what's going to happen in my life today. They just acted in the moment. And their actions result in something that we then see as amazingly heroic. Last week, we looked at the story of David. And as we looked at that story of David, we saw that he was given his calling for his life. And his calling for his life was that he would be king. In those days, the way that was designated is they were, their heads were anointed with oil. And Samuel was the prophet of Israel. And he was supposed to go find a new king. And he pointed out, David, he said, you will one day be the future king. And I challenged you last week to consider your calling. Consider what it is that you were made by God to do. Not what you do to make money, but your calling. Your unique gifts and abilities and loves and desires that God has created in you and given you a heart and a burden for you to live out in this world. Today we're going to look at a story that goes beyond just the cute little kid's song. And we're looking at a story of a young man likely a teenager, who is not swayed by the opinions of others. A teenager who saw a reality that others could not see and enabled him to face a challenge that no one believed he could accomplish. No one. And if you're a Christ follower this morning, my hope is that as you hear this message, that it will remind you and challenge you about well, the way God wants you to live out your faith every single day. And if you're checking out faith, if you're, maybe you've been here a few times or maybe just someone invited you this week and you're still exploring what this whole God thing is all about, my prayer for you this morning is that you will get a glimpse of the way God wants people who call themselves Christ followers to live. And maybe decide that's the way you want to live and what you want your life to be about. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn to 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17. If you don't have a Bible, our guys are passing some of them out, and we'd love for you to follow along. Um, we're not going to have all the verses on the screen because it's such a long story this morning. Uh, 1 Samuel 17, and it's page 227 in the Bibles that they're passing out to you. And just to set the stage of what has happened in this story, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, they had said they wanted a king, God gave them a king. But this king didn't turn out to be such a good king. 
And God describes the kind of king that he wants in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. He says, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler because you've not kept the Lord's command. Those are God's words to Saul. He said, I want a man after my own heart, someone whose heart is willing to follow after God no matter what his life journey and experience will be. And so David, shortly, right at the time when he was anointed as king in 1 Samuel 16, it tells us that the Spirit of God came upon him powerfully. And we don't know what that really meant. We just know it happened. We get a glimpse of what that meant in chapter 17. So in chapter 17, we're introduced to this group of individuals called the Philistines. The Philistines were people who lived in the land that we know now as Israel. They were a tribal people who um, occupied several cities, five primary cities along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And when the people of Israel moved into the land of, of, of Israel, or the people, the Jewish people moved in the land of Israel, God said, I want you to move all of the people who don't worship the God of the heavens out, because if you don't move them out over time, you're going to worship their gods and you're going to follow their gods. And um, so that's what they were doing. And so they would go to battle. Saul was a military leader. David was a military leader. And their goal was to move all these foreign nations out of the land of Israel. And so they, they are preparing for a battle against the Philistines. And in chapter 17, verse 1, it describes that the Israelites are on one hillside. The Philistines are on another hillside. There's a valley in the middle. And what they would do is they would begin each day and they would come out after they ate something from their encampments. They would line up in one single line. And in this particular battle, someone from the Philistine side would issue a challenge. And the guy that they sent out to issue the challenge was a guy by the name of Goliath. It says that he was a champion. His height was six cubits in a span. That's nine feet nine inches. He had a bronze helmet and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. That's 125 pounds. And it goes on to say that he had a spear that weighed 15 pounds. When I was a kid, the biggest person I could imagine was Andre the Giant. That's the biggest person I could imagine. Um, this guy, two and a half feet taller than Andre the Giant. Okay? There's nobody in human history that we have recorded as big as this person. Um, his coat of armor, 125 pounds. Normal suit of armor for an average person is about 60 to 70 pounds in the Middle, e Middle Ages. 125 pounds. This was a mammoth of a man. Mammoth of a man. And so he would come out every day, and he would come out, and he would stand there, and he would issue this challenge to the people of Israel. And listen to the challenge in verse 8. It says, Why do you even come out and line up for battle? Goliath would say. Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your servant, subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. So this was the deal. They said, send someone out. We're going to fight. If I win, you're our servants. If we, you win, we serve you. Pretty easy Pretty easy challenge. But look at the Israelites' response in the next verse. On hearing his words, they were dismayed and they were terrified. They were dismayed. They're like, there is no chance. There's no chance. We don't have anyone even close to fighting this giant. And they were terrified. They were scared to death. 
because they really realized they were out of options. They didn't have any options. I don't know about you, but I don't like it when I'm faced with situations that I don't have options. I think I'm a pretty good problem solver and I like to find solutions to dilemmas. Um, but when there are situations that have no options, it is very disconcerting to me. And that's the situation that the Israelites found themselves in. And so in the midst of this story, with the Israelites at this um, unresolvable conflict, one other element in this story that the text goes on to tell us is that this happened every day, morning and evening, for 40 days. 40 days. You know, it's like to be in an unresolvable, unsolvable problem day after day after day after day. When you have to go in and work for a boss that mistreats people day after day after day after day. When you pull out your checkbook and you look at your finances and you know what you have there is not going to pay all the bills and you look at it the next day and no more went in, but you still don't have enough to... And day after day after day after day after day. Or you and your spouse or you and one of your kids, you have conflict that you cannot resolve. And, and every time you have to walk through that door, you're like, oh no, here we go again, day after day after day after day after day. And that's what the people of Israel were facing. For 40 days, morning and evening, they heard this challenge. And so we're introduced to this young man by the name of David again, and it begins by telling us about his father, Jesse, and they have eight sons, and the three oldest who we met last week, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shema, they are all sons who are fighting in the armies. And in those days, um, there weren't um, supply lines back to the food and all the resources. The families were responsible to provide for the men in the military, for those, those who were fighting. And so you would send food from your family and supplies from your family to provide. It's very much like it was in the Revolutionary War in our country where the families provided for that. And so that's what David, or that's what Jesse was preparing to do. And so he says to David, he said, I want you to get some food together. Here's some roasted grain and some bread and cheese and I want you to go out to battle. And while you're there, why don't you get a report? There's no CNN available, so get me a report on what's happening on the battlefield. There's no embedded reporters. You're the embedded reporter. Go find out what's going on in the battle. So the story goes on to tell us that David woke up the next morning and um, he made sure his sheep were taken care of. Pretty responsible for a young guy. He's responsible for his sheep. Got another shepherd to make sure his sheep are taken care of. Packed up all his supplies and headed out that morning. I don't think David woke up thinking, uh, you know what, might do something heroic today. Just kind of feels like one of those heroic kind of days. I don't think David woke up thinking that. I think he was taking food to his brothers, going to get a report, come back, make sure his sheep were okay. So as he arrives early in the morning, probably left very early, gets there. Right as he's getting there, the, the soldiers are coming out of their encampments and they're starting to form these lines on each side. And as they're starting to form these lines, David hears Goliath's challenge just bellowing through that valley. And as he hears Goliath's challenge, um, the soldiers are also talking about what the reward is going to be for whoever wins the battle. 
you're promised great wealth. You're promised one of the King Saul's daughter's hand in marriage, which will give you a position of power and influence in the kingdom. And get this, no taxes the rest of your life. That's a pretty good deal if you knew you were going to win. If you didn't know you were going to win, it would really not be worth it. But pretty good deal if you knew you were going to win. So that's what the soldiers are talking about. Well, David gets there and he hears what's going on, drops off the food with the, the guy in charge of the food supplies. And David goes up to see what's, going, what's taking place. And as he goes up to take, see what's taking place in verse 26, he says, what will be done for the one who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace, disgrace from Israel? But then look at this second sentence. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? First time in 26 verses where God shows up on the scene. Faced an insurmountable challenge. The people of Israel, they worship the one true God. No mention of God. By any of the military guys, by Saul, no mention of God anywhere on the radar. Until David, the shepherd boy, shows up on the scene. One of the soldiers said, hey, this is what's happening for the man who kills him. And then an interesting side note shows up in this story. It almost seems like, why did they put that in the story? But I think it helps us understand a little bit of what's going on in David's life. You remember in the story from last week, if you weren't here with us last week, I encourage you to go home and, and go back and listen to the podcast on our website. But last week when the future king was being selective, Samuel the prophet who was t- given this task, he went to David's family and he starts looking at the oldest brother, Eliab, says, I think he's a good one, God. What do you think? God's like, nah, not going to work. Well, you think the older brother forgot that he got snubbed? No way. No way. Look what it says. When Eliab, David's older brother, heard David speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him. He burned with anger. He was furious. Furious at his younger brother. And look what he goes on to say. Why have you come down here? And with whom did you lead those few sheep out in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You only came down here to watch the battle. Um, A little bit of anger issues there. A little bit of jealousy going on there. Who sent David? Did David just come down on his own accord? No. His father sent him. Your few sheep implying that's not really an important job. And you left them. You're irresponsible. Was he irresponsible? No. He made sure someone took care of his sheep before he left for battle. Conceited. Ouch. Wicked. Ooh. You just came down here to see what was going on. Now, let me ask you this question. I asked last week who the younger brothers were in the audience, but um, when you're a younger brother and you're around your older brother and all of his buddies, do you want to um, stand out and make a fool of yourself or do you want to get accepted by your brother and his buddies? You generally want to get accepted by your brother and his buddies. And so you'll do whatever they ask you to do. They say eat some worms to come. You'll eat, you'll eat worms, you know. If they say eat some dirt, clean up the poop, whatever. You'll do whatever it takes to get accepted by the older brothers, right? 
You'll do whatever it takes because you want to be accepted by the older brothers. You know? David shows up on the scene. He's like, what's going on? What's going on? And his older brother calls him out right there. Shames him right in front of all of the other soldiers. All of the other soldiers. And what does David do? What does he do? He says, what did I do? Don't I even get a chance to speak? Don't I even get a chance to speak? Um, David didn't cower and say, you're right, I really shouldn't be here. Here, you, Your food's here. I'll see you later. David didn't defend himself, which I find kind of ironic, because at least half of those accusations were not even true. Um, he just ignored his brother and kept doing what he was doing. It's kind of a head-scratcher, isn't it, when you think about it? Here's the youngest kid in the family getting called out by his older brother, doesn't change his actions, modify his behavior at all. He just goes about doing what he came there to do, which is drop off the food and get a report for dad. What in the world's going on? A little bit surprising. In family systems today, which is a study of how families and groups of people relate to one another, there's this concept called differentiation. It describes your ability to act differently than the group when the group is doing something that you personally disagree with. If your level of differentiation is low, that means whatever the group wants you to do, you will do whatever they want you to do, regardless of the cost to yourself or any. You will do what they want you to do. If your level of differentiation is high, if the group wants you to do something or your family wants you to do something and it violates something internally inside you, say, thanks, but I'm going to pass on that and this is what I'm going to do. For the average person, their level of differentiation is pretty low because our need for approval is so high. David did not have this need to have his brother's approval which is very shocking to me. Very shocking. That a young teenage boy would not crave that as I'm pretty certain I would and I don't know most of us I think likely would. So what happens in the story? Well somehow Saul overhears that David, it goes on to say, he just walked away from his brother and went and found someone else and kept asking, who's going to stand up to this guy and defy, who's defying the armies of the living God? And so now David encounters Saul, the king of the land. And look what David says to Saul in the next verse. He says, don't worry about a king. Let no one lose heart on account of your Philistine. Your servant will go and, and fight for him. Now, this is a teenager talking to King Saul, who we know is head and shoulders above everybody else, the king of the land, saying, I, I got this covered, king. I'll, I'll go on your behalf. You know? As I was thinking about this story, it's a little bit like when it snows really heavily, you've got two and a half feet of snow, and your four-year-old comes out with his little plastic snow shovel and says, I got this, Dad. I'll take care of it. I'm good. I'm good. We're fine, you know? And you're like, yeah, buddy, 
Thanks, thanks for the help, you know. <laughs> Come on outside and play in the snow. I mean, it's just kind of a ridiculous... You look at that statement and you think, David said this to Saul? He said it to Saul? Really? He, he not only doesn't get swayed by his brothers who just tried to... His brother who just tried to shame him, now he's not put off by the king of the land and he says, don't worry, king, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Remember the response of the Philistines? What was their response? Terrified. He says, your servant, he's humble. I'll go take care of this. You're like, man, what is up with this kid? Well, Saul says, I don't think this is going to work, buddy. He says, you're only a little guy, and, and he's been fighting since he was your age. David said, well, let, how about I give you my resume? He said, here, listen to my resume. He said, your servant, describing himself again, has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went out, I struck it, and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned its attention to me, I seized it by its hair, struck it again, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of him because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the, of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. David says, let me tell you my resume, king. He said, I'm a shepherd and I watch my sheep. And one time a bear came after him after one of my sheep had it in his clutches. I cracked it on the head with my staff and he dropped it and came after me and I took him out. You know, it's basically what he said. And then a lion came after me and he picked up one of my sheep and I cracked him and with my staff and he dropped the sheep, came after me and I took him out. So I'm, God's going to help me and I'm good, king. I'm good. I'm good. Either this guy is the most arrogant teenager I ever met in my life or he has faith that I've never seen before. Take your pick. Take your pick. So the king says, all right, you insist it. You want to give it a try. I, what, do I, what do you have to lose? Here, let me give you all my armor. You know, and remember, David's a shepherd. He's a teenager, not fully grown. Saul is head and shoulders above everybody else. And so he's probably weighted down with his armor, can barely move with it and said, this ain't going to work, king. This ain't going to work. Here you go. Your methods, your ways, your approaches to things, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. So David goes out to a brook, picks up five stones, puts it in his pouch, goes out now to face Goliath, the third person in the story. Goliath sees this little kid coming towards him. He's like, what? Who is, what is who is that? Is this like uh, you know a comedy routine or what? You know I can't quite figure out. And and look what it says about him when the Goliath looked down at David. He saw that he was little more than a boy, and even Goliath recognized he's glowing with health, whatever glowing with health means. And even Goliath recognizes he's handsome, but he despised him. He's despised him. He's like, are you kidding me? Why are you insulting my strength and my capacity as a fighter to do this? 
He says, you come at me with sticks. The Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, I'm just going to feed you to the wild animals. This isn't even going to be close. Not even going to be close. So, as Goliath confronts David, listen to what David has to say. Verse 45, he says, You come at me with a spear and a sword and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the word for God that describes a powerful God, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike down and cut off your head. This day I will give the carcasses of your whole army to the birds and the animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God of Israel. He walked away from his brother who tried to shame him. He offered his service to to a king who tried to give him his ways, and he said, those ways aren't going to work for me. And now he stood face to face with a giant that not even a single member of the army would go up against and said, I'm going to take you down today. Today. And the reason I'm going to do that is so that the whole world will know there's a God in Israel. I don't think David woke up that morning thinking he was going to be a hero. But when the circumstances were placed upon him, there was something about this young man, something about his level of differentiation to not be influenced by the family around him to not be forced into something that wasn't true about himself, even by the king of the land. To be able to stand up to a a giant that not a single person could stand up to. And as the music builds and they run towards one another, he reaches into his bag, puts a stone in there, turns that sling and releases that rock right into the giant's forehead and kills him instantly. Without a sword in his hand, it says in verse 50, he struck down the Philistine and he killed him. And that day the people of Israel defeated the people of the Philistine armies with a great victory and a great battle. And at the very end, Saul is like, "Um, who in the world did this? I don't know where Saul was the whole day, but he was kind of out, out of touch. He said to his general, Abner, bring him here, bring him here. And he said, who are you? And he said, I'm I'm David son of your servant Jesse from Bethlehem. You know, it'd be real easy to think about just the giants in our lives and the the challenges that they face before us because we all have those things. But I'm not sure that that's all this story is about. The story really gives us a glimpse into something that's going into the heart and mind and soul of this young man, David. He was not the least influenced by what others thought of him. He was the first to mention God. He came back to God on several different occasions. He recognized that God was the only one that was going to get him through this. And even after speaking to Saul about it, the king of the land, Saul never once said, well, may God go with you. That never even entered Saul's lips. It was as if David had this special filter on his life where he could see things in a way that no one else could see it. 
he could see that there was a possibility that God would enable him to do something when no one else thought that they could do it. It's as if David had a reliance upon God instead of a reliance on everything else to solve the problem that was in front of him. His brother Eliab just wanted to avoid the problem and chase David away. Saul wanted to solve the problem in a way that wasn't going to work. And David said, no, there's a different way to solve this challenge that's in front of us. And as I thought about what enabled David to have this capacity to function so differently than everyone else, there's three things that I came up with that I think gave him this capacity. The first is what we looked at the end of last week is that the Spirit of God was in him. The Spirit of God was in him. The Bible says that when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, when you invite Him into your life, that God's Spirit comes to live within you. And it's the Spirit of God that gives you the capacity to follow God, to do the things for God that He calls you and challenges you to do. Jesus said when He's talking about the vine, He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And as, as Bill challenged us a couple weeks ago, when we stay connected to the vine, when we stay connected to Jesus, when we are walking with Him and listening to Him and following His direction in our lives, our capacity to do things that seem insurmountable, seem unconquerable, seem to have no way out, increase exponentially. I also wondered, how did David have this close relationship with God? Well, there's a few other things we know from David from some other places. In the second half of the story in Psalms, in 1 Samuel 16, we know that David was a musician, well known enough to be called into the king's court to soothe a very disturbed Saul, not only on that occasion, but on a number of other occasions. We know that David spent lots of time out in the wilderness with his sheep. And that David was not only a musician, but he was an artist and he was a prolific writer. And he wrote about these times when he felt alone and away from God and wondered where God was and where God was going to show up. And in the midst of all of that, he remembered repeatedly that God was there with him. Remember when he read his resume? He didn't say, yeah, I outsmarted the, I outsmarted the lion. The bear, it was just unfortunate for the bear. No, he said, God, help me do this. God, help me do this. God helped me do this. And he said, I want to defeat this giant so the whole world knows about the God of Israel. You know, I think the only way that that was possible in David's life is because he was intentional about spending time with God to reflect on the situation in his life and reflect on his God. That's what the Psalms are all about. David describing, this is my situation and this is my God. And that helps him bring resolution to the tension that exists in his life. The situation and the circumstances don't change. The giant in your life may not go away, but if you learn to reflect on the situation and remind yourself about your God, your ability to navigate through it and live with it and to face it every single day is going to increase beyond what you believe you have the capacity for right now. In David's case, he killed the giant. 
But there were more that came where those came from. And the last thing I think David had to do is he recognized that he wasn't going to be able to do this himself. He wasn't going to be able to do this himself. He said, the only way that I'm going to defeat this giant is with God's help. With God's help. As I thought about these three things, I think this may be the hardest one for many of us to enter into. Because most of us, especially in the community we live in, are good at a lot of things. Are good at a lot of things. One of the things I've learned and, and learned from talking to Tim, who I work with and others, is that when you grow up on a farm or you grow up around a farm, or you learn to do just about anything. You fix it, you solve it, you make it work, you learn to do just about anything. And we live a community of do-it-yourselfers, people that are good at a lot of things, and they're good at fixing, and they're good at solving, and they're good at strategizing, good at... To the point that I wonder sometimes how much we really need God. You say, well, I need God. Does your life give any evidence that you need God? I mean, Eliab was just ticked at his brother. God wasn't anywhere on the picture. Saul... He was terrified and he was dismayed. He didn't bring God in the picture. David's the only one that brought God into the, into the picture. The only one. The only one. I found myself in a situation about two weeks ago that I normally am pretty adept at handling. It was something that was going on inside of me and, and I... I think have a fairly good level of self-awareness and I know what I need to do to kind of process through things when there's things troubling inside. And I just a really, really hard day. I was like, okay, I got to get alone some quiet time, just me and God and sort this out and kind of figure this whole thing out. And I do that on a regular basis. But I just kind of had this prompting this day. I was like, John, I don't want you to do this one on your own. What do you mean, God? I think you and me, we can navigate through this. No, I want you to allow someone else in what you're going through. I'm like, God, I don't need anybody else. I know what to do. I've been down this road before. I know what to... I just need some time alone and I'll get this sorted out and I'll be fine. And God's Spirit just wouldn't let this go for me. And um, I was challenged to phone a friend. Actually, I didn't phone. I texted a friend, you know, a couple friends. I said, hey, you available? One of them said yes. I said we sit and talk I don't really need advice I just need you to just listen and they did and um, I don't know that I walked away with any answers that day that I didn't have before I entered but I walked away with a reliance upon God in an area I had been just relying on myself as I thought about this story I thought about this picture of this young guy um, who had this amazing level of differentiation to not be influenced by the crowd and in spite of everybody around him, family, individuals in authority, a giant that no one would dare tackle, he had this undeniable faith and confidence and reliance upon God. 
that was unshakable in his life. Unshakable. Some of you may have giants in your life right now and you know what they are. As soon as I started talking about this, It's admitting you need help in your marriage, that you're stuck. Oh, you and your spouse are committed, but there's no sparks. Fire's out. And you don't think that's the way it should be, and it's not the way God wants it to be, but you don't know what to do, and you need help. You can't do it yourself. Or maybe the, the giant for you is admitting that your relationship with Christ is kind of dead and lifeless. And yeah, sure, you show up at church and you try to crack your Bible periodically, but there's, it's just kind of like words on a page and there's nothing and you don't really sense God directing you and God aware and involved and you can't do this on your own and you need to rely on someone other than yourself. Or maybe you've gotten yourself into a mess financially and you're embarrassed about it and you're just trying to make ends meet and you've got to get some help. You can't do this on your own. Maybe for you the giant is that demon from the past that shows up in your thoughts, that haunts you in your dreams and the older you get it doesn't get, wor- it doesn't get better, it only gets worse. And you have to decide if you're going to rely on yourself or someone else. We all have a choice. We all have a choice because we all have these things in our lives that may currently exist that we're clearly aware of that are bigger than life or that may show up on our doorstep tomorrow. I never expected five weeks ago that I would have a family member be told they had stage four cancer and would be dead in a month. Sometimes they show up on your doorstep and you're not expecting them. And so you can tackle those giant problems with a a giant-like reliance upon God Admit your need, ask for help, rely on Him. Or you can ignore, you can dismiss, you can hide from or try to solve these giant-sized problems in your own life. And you know what's going to happen if you do this? Just like that giant kept coming out day and night for 40 days, it's going to keep showing up in your life day after day after day after day after day. Until you're ready to say, you know what, I surrender. I surrender. I can't do this on my own. And I'm done trying. And I'm going to rely on God. And I'm going to put all my eggs in that basket because I don't have anywhere else to turn. And that might mean asking for help. That might mean sometimes just waiting and not doing something about it. That might need to be the support of a group It's going to walk through this journey in your life with you. I don't know what that's going to be. I don't think any of us want those things to keep showing up every single day. But if you choose this approach, that's what's going to happen. 
I want to ask you to close your eyes and just bow your heads. And I'm going to give you a moment to talk to God. About your own heart. giant that you're wrestling with today. God, you know each person's heart here this morning. You know how those that have giants that they're battling right now that um, they're wondering if they're going to win this one, God. Just give them an awareness of your spirit and your presence with them. Still others, God, are trying to ignore them, trying to blame something else. Trying the same solution over and over and over again that's not changed the situation one bit. God, I pray that today might be a crossroads for them to say, I, I need to rely on You and others in ways that I've not been open to before. God, somehow help each of us as we face whatever you bring into our lives. That God's a part of the conversation, a part of whatever takes place, a part of the solution for one reason and one reason alone, and that's so the whole world knows about our great God. Help us, Lord. We can't do this on our own.